The food service and hospitality industries are evolving, often in ways you've never heard of, until now. Our host and technovator, Rob Grimes, is the leading voice of global food service and hospitality technology. Powered by the International Food and Beverage Technology Association, IFBTA, the Accelerate podcast is where technology and ideas are shared, served with a side of new innovation. Welcome to the Accelerate podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Accelerate podcast powered by the IFBTA. I'm Rob Grimes, your host, and this week we're going to be exploring the searches on the tech house and where. And we're going to try to tie together some of the subjects we've been talking about over the last few weeks, but also those things that may be coming forward during the rest of this year that we might want to think about. There's just so many opportunities. And as I always tell people, there's so little time. So you really have to organize yourself. But before we get started, I want to go ahead and talk about last week's episode with Lee and Dan Cockrell. Uh, that was a very interesting episode for me. And some of the things I didn't share uh, was that Lee was one of my original bosses when I worked for Marriott as an assistant restaurant manager. Uh, he also is somebody who tried to talk me out of going into technology and actually staying in the restaurant business. Uh, but over time, uh, I continued to do some things with him. But it was an interesting discussion because I also got to meet Dan, his son. And if we take a look at the recap of what they were talking about, it's going to be very important for today because they talked about service, how to provide service and how technology plays in it. They talked about the experience, how to create the right guest experience, but also the right experience for your employees and management, and then how tech plays its role. And besides their Disney background, they also shared some of the lessons that they learned uh, along the way. And so if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, you might want to go back, listen to that, because that will help you with this episode and some of the future episodes to come. Now, today's episode, today's menu that we're going to talk about, I'm going to start with recapping a visit to the North American Food Service Equipment Manufacturers, NAFA. Uh, there's going to be a lot of abbreviations today, and it's sometimes a mouthful. It's sometimes hard to figure out how you remember them all. But I went to their show this past week, and I just wanted to recap a few things. And one of the regular ideas that we will have or one of the regular discussions we'll have is talking about different events around the world, maybe serving as your eyes and ears to point out some of the highlights, and then hopefully also running into some of our listeners at some of these events as well. So NAFM. Uh, NAFM is a biannual show. Uh, it's held every other year, therefore. And this year it was in Orlando. And actually the next one has just been announced in Atlanta in 2025. Uh, it is attended by equipment buyers, consultants, designers, uh, equipment manufacturers, mainly kitchen equipment manufacturers, but but they have table uh, tabletops and supplies and things such as that as well there. Uh, and then manufacturers reps. Um, it's an interesting audience because you also will find uh, attendees that come from food service and hospitality operators of all segments because the buyers are there looking also at the equipment. And a lot of times they will buy those things directly or sometimes they buy them through a dealer, distributor, or consultant. There are also some major industry associations, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, but I am constantly coming across industry associations I never heard of or knew, although some of these I did know. I obviously knew NAFM, but there's also a uh, the International uh, Food Service Consultant Society International, FCSI. And then there's the people that represent the equipment dealers. And they all play a role uh, in putting together a show. And they are all attendees. And they all co-locate. They have meetings. 
But what did I learn at NAFA? Well, there were some key messages. So I talk about key messages all the time. And when I visit a show, how do I get the key message? And it can be a conference as well. Conferences generally get the key message because it's in the title of the conference or the theme. But when I go to a trade show, I do two things. I look at the aisles and I look at the signage before I enter and when I enter the hall. Whatever is displaying down the aisles in the big booths, the directional signs, they tell me the key message is, you know, just like going to CES, which we've talked about drones and, and health and wellness and, and uh, you know, home, smart homes. Well, you go to a different show, you'll see different types of areas sometimes that they may have where they talk about their key messaging. But also, as you start to visit booths, the big signs are the key message. So in the past, we've talked about the concept of big data many years ago, which has now morphed into data analytics. So any technology show that I go to today, uh, I may see data analytics out there. That is a key message. So the key message of NAFA, connected kitchens. Okay, what's a connected kitchen? Because for me, since I don't work in the kitchen all the time and I'm not a chef, you know, I go take a walk around and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I guess we're talking about the connectivity between the equipment. We're talking about uh, the networks. We're talking about security. And yes, it is those things. But when they're displaying and talking about connected kitchens, they're actually talking about smart equipment that can connect with each other within a kitchen, but can communicate to the outside. So, of course, I start taking a look around for what I consider to be normal technology, and I don't see it. You know, I don't see the routers. I don't see the back office. All I see is a lot of ovens. I see fryers. You know, I see uh, coffee machines. And so I walked up to somebody and said, well, you're displaying connected kitchens here. What exactly does that mean? And they said, well, see all this equipment here? Uh, these all are smart. They talk to each other. They know when they're breaking down. They send a message out. And great. Okay. And uh, they also do things like temperature monitoring and they do energy management because they can communicate. And if you have trouble with the instructions, they communicate. I said, great. So do I have to buy these to have a connected kitchen or, or what do I have to do? Because, you know, a lot of kitchens, we're not ready to throw out our equipment overnight, just like you might not throw out a computer or a cell phone or something, but you got to have the upgrades that are there. And it was explained to me that it is possible to take a piece of equipment that's been out there for a while and connect it by putting on an attachment device to it so it can communicate to the internet or to other machines that are within uh, the unit. Um, or you may just attach something to it very much like you might do temperature monitoring or security systems that you plug in and you put in the walk-in and you put on the shelves. Um, many ways like that. But I said to him, well, how do I know if a piece of equipment is a connected device? Well, you know, it's funny. You learn something every day when you go to visit these sorts of things. And here's what I learned. If it has a digital display on it, it is a connected device. So now I start looking around every coffee machine, every oven, every fryer, you know, everyone, the walk-ins all have digital displays on them, very much like your refrigerator might have at home very much like we have on point of sale and like we have on all the different systems we use in, in the hospitality business. And when it has a digital display, that is sort of the, the hint, the message that tells us it is connect, a connected available uh, and it's probably a connected device. Didn't know that before, but now I know. Uh, so it's an easy way now to walk through and take a look and understand whether it could be part of a connected kitchen. 
Well, what's the other part of it? Because I'm looking for a lot of technologies that are out there, what I normally see when I go to trade shows, and I'm not necessarily seeing it. So now I get it. So I get it that in the ecosystem of food service operations, uh, a connected kitchen has digital displays and all of the pieces of technology can be uh, connected together obviously through the network and you have to have a great network just like you would for anything else. So we have the safety, the security, we have the training aspects of it. We have energy management aspects of it. Those are all things I certainly understand. And then they connect with other parts of devices and, and other things that are within the unit that I do understand as well, such as the point of sale, such as digital signage, such as the drive through, because as different, uh, uh, different, things are taking place within an operation, they talk to each other and they say, you know, raise the temperature, put the temperature down. We have a safety thing. We have a maintenance problem. We're not going to be able to handle the workload. Um, and so those are all things that communicate together. And because of the cloud, they can be put together, they can be monitored. And it makes sense to me. I do understand that if you have a, uh, a device that's dispensing drinks uh, and it's connected to the point of sale, you can go ahead and have an automatic drink dispenser. And it can know what's there. I know that if we have a refrigerator that has a scanning uh, within it and we're able to identify items that are on the shelf for real-time inventory, I know that I, as I'm using things up that I either need to prepare more. And how do I know that? Of course, because I'm ringing them up on the point of sale. They're coming in on the online ordering. Uh, they're in the back office food and beverage management system. And so I need to know that it's ordered. So I understand the connected piece. So there are some other things that I took a look. And I saw a lot of lockers. Lockers were everywhere. I would tell you almost any major uh, food equipment manufacturer is selling lockers. Now, lockers, in my view, uh, as I've seen them at a number of different shows, uh, have a number of different functions. You can have lockers that don't really do anything. They're just secure lockers. The phone, uh, you can use your phone to unlock them uh, with a code. Those are things like Amazon might use. We've started to hear over the last couple of years the idea of hot and cold lockers for food pickup, especially during COVID when just having the shelf, uh, you know, the shelf and you put the bag on the shelf wasn't enough. You need the security and you want to have hot and cold in it. Most of the lockers that I saw, let's say there were 10 different lockers in 10 different companies that were there. Some were in fact integrated with point of sale systems so that they could go ahead and pick up. But most were either hot lockers or what they called ambient lockers, but they could not do cold. Uh, there was only one locker system that I saw at the show, coincidentally connected with a convenience store um, display uh, for grab and go uh, that was actually able to do hot or cold in the same locker. And it was very simple. Uh, the lights would turn red if it was hot and they would be green or blue. If uh, It would be blue if they were cold. And if there was a problem, uh, it would let you know. And all of these lockers uh, would page you when the food was ready. You would go up, you would scan a barcode or a QR code and you'd be able to open up the locker. So not a lot of hot and cold there yet, but everybody believes that there needs to be lockers. Um, but if we go to some of the other trade shows in the industry and other conferences, we'll see hot and cold lockers uh, out there as well. The other thing that I saw was robotics. A number of the kitchen uh, manufacturers are developing robotics. These are in the back of the house primarily. We are not talking about the robots that we see at a lot of the restaurant and hospitality shows or even the retail show that are delivering things to the table, but robots to actually make the food, in particular, pizza. Pizza, 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 pizza. Uh, I'm not sure why it's always pizza, but that's very labor intensive. There are a lot of different choices. 
Uh, I took some videos of a pizza uh, robot in the back of the house that actually could go ahead and pick things up with a claw, drop uh, cheese and pepperoni and the toppings on, could actually pick up the right pizza, put it in the oven, pick it out of the oven, put it in a box, and then put it on the shelf in order to be picked up in a locker. So a lot of robotics. Uh, Robotics also for coffee. Uh, that we see and robotics for fryers, uh, being able to pick up the basket. And I asked him, what makes your robot different? And it's when it shakes the basket to get the oil out. Okay, I get that. Uh, Many of them have cameras on top and the cameras make sure that there's not a human in the way. Or if you're working side by side with a human, I thought that was interesting. The last thing, uh, the other thing that I saw was with the ovens, a lot of ventless uh, cooking uh, going on, meaning that you can go ahead and cook things in a place that doesn't require a fire system and uh, doesn't require a vent. Uh, This is especially good, by the way, if you have vending going on. It's especially good if you're doing something like sous vide cooking, which we're going to be talking about in another episode, the next episode, actually, which allows you to be able to cook with equipment and not have to have uh, hoods and vents. Uh, And that's for fryers like French fries. It's for all types of foods. And they had real examples there. And then the last thing is there were a few vending machines a few uh, fresh food vending machines, specifically in the smoothie area. But I saw a pizza vending machine that I thought was very interesting that could uh, have 96 pizzas. Uh, It would go ahead and take the pizza that was pre-prepared in this case, not like the robot behind the house. And it could, you could order on a touchscreen, you'd order your pizza, you'd take it to go. And I thought that that was a a rather interesting type of device. I asked them, why did they do that? And it isn't to have non-homemade pizzas or something that, you know, you get in a grocery store. It was because it was invented in France and it was for pizza owners who actually want time off. They can't work seven days a week. They're a small pizza shop. And so they build their pizzas in advance and now they have 24 hours. And this is obviously going into colleges, universities, and we've talked about vending before. So those are the key things that I saw. Smart equipment uh, with digital displays, connected equipment, Uh, Then we saw the lockers, we saw robotics behind the scenes, and then lockers. And I will be posting some videos online shortly uh, from NAFM, and you'll be able to see these things. But if you're interested in how uh, technology connects in the back of the house with equipment, that is the place to go because we don't always see that at the normal, well, we wouldn't see it at technology shows per se, but you won't always see them even at general restaurant shows. So we're going to switch gears. And we're going to think about the tech house and the tech wares. Um, and I think this is very important for us to understand how we choose technology, how we find it. And these are just general rules that I use and that the IFBTA talks about uh, when we go. Uh, I would like to remind you that I went out to NAFM. I'm sure many of our listeners go to many different shows in other industries. It, it may be a manufacturing show, an auto show that has nothing to do directly with our industry. And I would really ask you, if you see a great show, you hear of something, a great conference, a great networking event, you'll submit them to me as a cool idea, just like if you see a great technology. And you can do that uh, by submitting them to coolideas at robertgrimes.com. And again, you can do that so that we can learn, share, and start the conversation together. Uh, And then also, Uh, We certainly want your feedback on the Accelerate podcast. And if you want to subscribe or if you have any thoughts or comments or suggestions, we ask you to send a note to Accelerate at foodabletv.com. So let's go ahead and take a shift. 
and let's talk about the general tech house. So we're going to talk about how and we're going to talk about where. But I think it's important before you go looking for things that you consider how you're going to look for things. And I tell people all the time, it doesn't matter whether you're looking for a cell phone, a car, a television, or a point of sale terminal, digital signage, back office, drive through kiosk, you know, whatever it is that you're looking for, I tell people all the time to organize their thinking and what they're doing. So I'm going to give you a few steps that I generally uh, would tell somebody if I were sitting next to them. I don't answer the question of what's the best system because you got to understand things before you can answer that. But I will say, but let me, let me give you a clue as to how you might go ahead and take a look at this. So I always suggest that people think of things holistically, not in silos. Holistically means take a look at the big picture. Silos means, oh, I need to select, like in COVID, you know, an online ordering system, a delivery system but they don't consider how things have to interact with the rest. Uh, later today, I have to go home to install a, new, um, install a new security system in my house. Well, I need to think about how's that going to play with Google or Alexa or Apple? How's it going to play with my lighting? And I need to think about that in total when I'm selecting a system. So holistically, the simplest way that I tell people, take a clean white piece of paper and just start drawing circles on it. Draw circles on it for each one of the major areas that you're interested in, you know, each major functional area. And then when you do that, start listing the systems in each area that you use, applications or systems. And then when you're done that, start drawing lines between each one to show how they actually connect, what has to feed data to what. Now, chances are you're going to end up with a spaghetti mess of things, but at least now you can see it. There are two things you'll see when you do that visually, and I say put that up on the wall, right? Is you may not only see the mess, which you need to simplify, and you'll figure out how things communicate with each other in what order, but secondly, you will identify things you didn't know you had, duplicate systems. So the purchasing department may have purchased a back office systems that does inventory and ordering, while the chef has done the same, while the point of sale has it in it as well. And so these are ways that you can identify duplicates uh, within as well. So think holistically, don't think in a silo. I also tell people that they might want to go from front, uh, from back to front, not front to back. So 99 times out of, you know, out of 100, when I'm teaching a class or I talk with people, I say, what do you think the most important thing is in a restaurant? They'll say the point of sale system. If I was in a hotel, they might say the property management system, the PMS. And I say, not really. It's really the back office system that ties everything together. But at the end of the day, where does all this data go? What are you feeding to run your business? Uh, I had a conversation this morning with a restaurateur, a local restaurateur in the pizza business. And we were talking about this. And I, he said, well, I'm going to just go call my friends. And I said, you can, but your friends don't necessarily have the same systems you do. They may be a competitor. They may be in the same business. But unless they're put together exactly as you are, you're not going to know if their systems are going to work for you. So I always say go from the back to the front. That means start at the very last place you need data, which a lot of times is the big accounting system that you might be using. And then you look at where the feeds for that data come in, okay? And that will identify the next layer of systems. And obviously, you want to try to select systems that are automatically integrated that work all the way uh, to the back. So if you get to the front line, which the, who knows what the front line is today, because the front line could be the counter with a point of sale, but the front line could be a guest-facing system that's actually online, a digital front line, because that, that line has changed uh, to us. But as you work your way forward, instead of looking 20 systems on the front line, you might only be looking at four 
or five. And the reason for that is because the systems you're looking at would be able to be integrated and feed the systems all the way up the line without the need for customization and without the, you know, without specialty needs and, and uh, items like that that are put into it. Now, these, this is only advice. I mean, this is just some general advice. It's, it's not going to fit. There is no one fit all, you know, solution here, but it's some general advice because obviously some operations are different than others and you may need some custom uh, scripts or custom uh, items to work within your unique environment. Certainly Disney does, as we heard. Uh, so I'm not telling you that, you know, it's one size fits all here, but it is a way to start looking at different systems so you don't become in the systems business and you have maximum flexibility as you go forward. So back to front, you should organize the process, write down your key requirements. I'm not telling you to write down 700 items of an RFP that you might find in a standard uh, point of sale RFP or something like that. I'm telling you, write down maybe the top 20 items that are most important. What operating systems, um, what other major systems they have to drive, like the accounting in there. Uh, what do you not want to replace that's in there? Uh, and by doing that, uh, you have an organized process of defined functionality and services you need, but you write your requirements down before you start looking. And you also define who are the decision makers on the team that are going to help to decide what you select. The next step after you've defined your requirements and who should be on the team is make sure that your team includes people from operations, those who do things day in and out with the systems. And if you have franchisees, with your franchisees and licensees as well. They're the ones who are going to know most of all how the system really works when they're serving somebody at table side, when they're making a coffee, when they're behind the bar, when they're behind the front desk. They're the ones who are going to know that because they do it day in and out. Just because you worked in an operation 20 years ago and was a line manager, and it's great that you did that, doesn't mean that you're in touch, even if you go every day, because you're not working the line. Now, by the way, I do suggest you work the line, from time to time, not a bad idea for anybody, especially when they come from outside the industry. So you want to have their buy-in. So if they are part of the selection process, not only will they identify items that you might not have thought of, but they will be your best evangelist down the road. I always separate out the hardware, software, and services. Uh, I start with the software because that's my functions and features. That's where things need to work together. That's what defines how a system will work in my environment. Uh, I choose hardware secondly, instead of going after the hardware first. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, the iPad came out. People said, I need an iPad POS system. I said, I think what you're talking about is a tablet point of sale system. Whether it should be iPad, whether it should be Android, whether it should be something else, Microsoft, doesn't really matter. It's how you're going to use it. That should determine what type of tablet you may want to use. So I don't start out with a preconceived notion. I look for the best software functionality. Now, much of the best software functionality may also be offered by somebody who offers hardware, which is great, okay? But you start with software because software also can be something universal. It can be hosted in the cloud. It can be used internationally. And as you go, not hardware or services cannot necessarily be universal in all markets, even in the United States or North America, not every market. Uh, so you need to take a look at them separately. So again, I separate starting with software, then I go to hardware, then I go to the services because the services wrap around what I'm going to be putting in, which could be in, include multiple hardware pieces and software. And I don't want to have necessarily five different places to call. Uh, they may be smart equipment. A lot of this can be done by uh, uh, computer uh, AI uh, in it, but they do need to be connected. But you can't define that. So you do the services last. I also think about best of breed versus the all-in-one approach. 
Best of breed means that you choose each application singly, uh, and all-in-one means you can get many things from a single provider. Uh, there's not a right or wrong in this at all. Um, you know, you may want to have a closer relationship with a provider who does it all, and you may not have the time, especially if you're an independent or a smaller operator, uh, to be able to deal with many different providers, or you may have a dealer. NAFM has dealers that sell uh, the food service equipment. So same analogy there as we look at technology. You may have a dealer that brings different parts and pieces together, and fine, that's, that's a single approach as well. But if you don't look at a best of breed, for instance, if you're taking a look at um, labor scheduling systems or point of sale or digital signage or back office, um, I would hope that somebody who is in that business, just like accounting and payroll, is going to do a really good job because it's the only thing that they do. So when you compare them against people that offer an all-in-one approach, most all-in-one providers, unless they've acquired somebody that was a best of breed, which happens a lot as well, um, or they have partnerships and they can sell it to you in an embedded system, um, are not going to be able to be perfect at everything. And so in that particular case, uh, by looking at the uh, all-in-one and the best of breed in comparison, you will know what you're giving up one way or another. But sometimes that's really worth it because you may get a better cost, a single point of contact. Uh, there's any number of things uh, in that approach. Uh, and you may get more attention as well. The next thing is taking a look at packaged uh, off-the-shelf uh, programs. Again, there's nothing wrong with customization. You may need it. Uh, but if you can find things that are 90% there, 95% there, then what you're customizing is a small piece and you're not in the systems business. Now, obviously, if you're a big company like Disney, McDonald's, you know, Subway, there's many people that I know that have very unique businesses. They're very big. They can afford to build their own systems. Uh, you should look at similar operations. I always take a look at the big chains. I did not just say you should choose what they have, but you should look at them because they are more likely to be defining the requirements that you need, the payment types, uh, the different ways you might take ordering, the different customer types, different types of locations from vending to pickup to delivery to in-dining room to small footprint uh, to shared areas. So uh, you may want to look at that at least because uh, in comparison, you can see what systems they're using and they're always going to have the money, the time and the influence to get many of the items that you may want down the road done. And then the last thing is I consider a five to seven year cost of ownership. It used to be three to five years. Uh, you probably will be looking at changing out your hardware, or upgrading your hardware and your software, you know, every couple, three years and, and, and several times a year for software. But in today's world where you have software as a service and you have hardware as a service and you pay as you go in it, there is a, a point to where uh, the it may cross uh, paths with if you had just purchased it and you just paid annual fees. And you need to take a look at it on a five to seven year cost. Um, there's no right answer here. Uh, it may be cheaper uh, to go with software and hardware as a service. It may be cheaper to buy the systems or a hybrid uh, version of both. So that was an Awful lot of information priming us for a quick discussion on where do you find uh, things. And we're going to cover in future uh, episodes specific trade shows and actually and conferences and report from them and be your eyes and ears as we go forward so that we can learn together because you can't be everywhere. There are too many events, too little time. You can't list them all. And so I just want to give you some highlights on where you might find them without necessarily getting into any specific ones in general, which I would like you to send to me if you operate one or you know of one, because it may not be on the radar screen. And let's go ahead and share that. So again, cool ideas at robertgrimes.com. 
and you can share those. So there are a number of different events uh, where you're going to find technology either talked about. Those would be your trade shows for sure, conferences and seminars, which can be very small ones sometimes, networking events, and educational institutions. Um, the educational institutions I find uh, can, uh, you know, they have specific topics out there uh, in the hotel industry. I know there are different ones that are hosted in there uh, and there are in food service as well. And then there are many different people that put on shows, some you don't expect. The major trade associations, major and minor associations or specialty ones put them on. There are show organizers around the world. They may operate shows in many segments, not just in hospitality or food service or retail. Uh, you have education that puts on uh, different events. Uh, media, the publishing companies do. Uh, all of our industry publications have different types of events. And some of them put on trade shows and some of them put on conferences or specialty think groups. Uh, and so that's something to take a look at. But almost all the industry ones in the hospitality, retail, and food service industry have some sort of conferences, events, or shows that you can take part of. Uh, and then you have the suppliers themselves. So your mainline food distributors, uh, Cisco, U.S. Food Service, uh, you know, all of them, uh, Benny Keith, all of them have their own shows and events and, some, and suppliers do. And then the brands do. If you're a franchisee, uh, you'll find that as well. When I divide the shows, I take a look and I divide them two ways uh, and, and any kind of shows or, or events. I do them by subject matter expertise, which means by job type or the subject you're looking for. So when I'm looking at that, I'm going to find things such as technology, but I might find a franchise show, training, uh, leadership types of conferences, supply chain, food safety, finance and accounting, uh, human resources, and then delivery, takeout and catering. And there's many more that are by subject matter areas. It doesn't matter which industry segment, but they're by subject matter uh, expertise. And, and the general leadership ones are, there's a, quite a number of them that are out there that are put on by both associations and publish, uh, publications and event organizers. And then the other way to look at it is by industry segment. So I look at the industry segments and there's a specific shows out there for pizza and sandwich, for QSR and fast casual, for catering, there's bar and nightclub, uh, there's on-site, meaning the non-traditional, uh, which is, you know, your stadiums, arenas, education, business, food service, hotels for sure, casino and gaming, uh, resorts have their own ones, uh, cruise ships. I mean, I could go on and on. There are tons of industry segment shows. And if you think that what you need, and we talked about this on an earlier episode, is in one of those other industry segments – it's good to go to the shows because you get to get ideas that you might not have gotten directly and you may get to see some systems that will work for you. Uh, obviously, we can layer on this by geography because if you're a smaller provider, there are many great regional shows. There are national shows. There are international shows. And then sometimes you have to leave where you live to really see something uh, that is out there. And then, of course, you know, just to mention them, the pure tech shows in hospitality and food service, the generalist of somebody like a CES, which we've talked about, but your Mertech, which is coming up in March, FS Tech in September, High Tech and, and the Hospitality Show, uh, which are in the hotel industry in June, uh, the NRF Big Show, which was just now in January. And then you have some specialty shows overseas like Rest Tech Live um, over in the UK, which is in the fall. Uh, there's Japan Shop. And uh, so there's a number of shows that are specialty in tech around the world. So... I think we've taken this subject around the world. We've uh, started with the appetizer. Uh, we've uh, we've compared, uh, you know, the food, uh, you know, we've compared the review of the past and we've taken a look at the future and we've tried to pair some things together. And in future uh, podcasts, 
We are going to be talking very specifically about specific events, uh, but we will also uh, talk with specific people from industry segments in order to really understand how they look at technology and where they see the crossovers are. Because again, I'm just one data point. So with that, this podcast is brought to you by the International Food and Beverage Technology Association, the IFPTA being the industry's voice of technology within the food and beverage industries, providing thought leadership and a single impartial go-to resource for you. The IFBTA offers in-person and online communities to connect with your peers and Exchange, which is an all-encompassing global technology directory, an industry-wide professional education and certification program. Bottom line, the IFBTA is your place to gather, learn, and share. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Accelerate, powered by the IFBTA. I am Rob Grimes, your host, and I look forward to our next accelerated conversation together.